In Acts chapter 8, you have a totally different group of people because now the word goes forth. Philip goes forth preaching in Samaria. Remember, these would be half-Jews largely, considered, considered to be you know, the lowest of the low by Jews, even worse in some cases than Gentiles because they'd intermingled with the Gentiles. So the Jews wouldn't even go into their country, you remember. Jesus did, but they wouldn't. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Now, then John, back in Matthew, John the Baptist then is going to give the demonstration, or is going to say, because of his mightiness, because he is great, therefore his baptism is greater than mine. So first, John says, Jesus is greater than John. So the greatness of Jesus, Jesus is the judge, the greatness of Jesus, Jesus is greater than John, and then Jesus' baptism is greater than John's baptism. So he says, this one who is mightier than I am not fit even to remove his sandals. He, this mighty one, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now here John uses the word baptism that up to this point has been, has been immersion, immersion in water. That's what John has been doing. He's been baptizing. He's been immersing people physically in water. But here we have a use of baptism that is also used throughout the New Testament that does not have to do with physical water. It has to do with the innate meaning of the word that is to immerse, to submerge in, to, to totally overwhelm with in one sense. So he uses it here. He says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So no water, there's no water here anywhere. This is dry. It is the Holy Spirit that he will immerse you with. That is, you will be immersed with him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As we will see, the Holy Spirit will come inside all of him to permeate your life. And this immersion will result in several other things. And so I'm going to spend the rest of the time on this part of Jesus's baptism. That is baptism with the Holy Spirit. He says here, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire will be for next week. The Holy Spirit is for this week because in between that and Holy Spirit and fire is an entirely, is, is several thousand years, is an entirely different aspect of baptism as we will see. The first one we will focus on is being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the baptism of the Spirit is that in which God, through Christ, causes the Spirit to permanently indwell the believer at the moment of salvation. And that's the definition of what it is for us today. The Spirit of God permanently indwells the believer at the moment of salvation, all of the spirit of God, that is not some partial piece of him, not, not, not a bit of him and more to come later, all of the spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, because he's God, he can then all indwell everyone, right? So all of the spirit comes to dwell inside of you. You are immersed into him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, when this happens, 
right? And clearly here, John is not referring to water baptism, but being immersed in the Holy Spirit as he comes to permanently indwell the believer. This immersion leads to another immersion. And again, we're just getting this started, so I, I won't track this all the way through, turning you to every verse. But the immersion by the Holy Spirit, really into the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation, this great work of God, also then results in another immersion, and that is of being identified with Christ. You are immersed into Christ. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verse 1, so you can turn there. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. For how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that is not water baptism. That is the spiritual aspect of baptism being mentioned here, immersed into. That all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death, totally identified with. We've been immersed into, as it were, Christ. Everything that happens to Christ by, by then its spiritual nature happens to you. Therefore, if we have been buried with him through baptism into death, being totally identified with, immersed into the death of Christ, so that as Jesus or Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him, and that's the, that's the issue of baptism here, the Spirit becomes united with us in Holy Spirit baptism, that causes us then to be united with Christ, immersed into, baptized into Christ. We therefore experience, as it were, everything that Christ did. He died, we die with him. He lives, we live with him. He receives the inheritance. We receive the inheritance with him. So this immersion, being baptized into or, or by the spirit, then enables us to be immersed into Christ. We become one with him. That is our union with Christ. But there's also another union that happens or immersion that happens. And that is being identified with the body of Christ. So the third immersion that springs from the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that is being immersed into or joined to the body of Christ, we become fully a part of his church, linked together by being immersed in the Holy Spirit, being put into Christ, one with him, and therefore we are one with each other. All of that comes about as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that which Jesus could bring that John could never touch. John's baptism was external. Jesus' baptism is internal. It is total it is, the, it is the third member of the Trinity coming to live inside, are being totally immersed in him, then being placed as a result of that, becoming one with Christ in union with him as death, burial, and resurrection, and therefore being unified with every other member of the body of Christ, those who are also indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, when did this happen for the disciples? Because remember, for us, we have to look back on this, and this is where our understanding of history and our understanding of the progression of things that happen in Scripture become so important, because they hadn't received this yet. And there's a progression by which this happened. This often is very confusing to people. So I'm going to take just a moment to, to get this discussion started in your own mind. Because you might already be thinking in, in, in the book of Acts, as people are coming to Christ, they don't always seem to get the Holy Spirit right away. So you're saying that you receive all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. Well, what about the times in Acts when that didn't seem to happen? I'd like to discuss those. Let's begin with the disciples themselves. Right? Now, John is promising this will happen to all his hearers, ultimately. But what we will find is it began with the apostles. Jesus promises this to them. He reiterates this promise in Acts 1.5. We won't turn to all the verses. I'll just kind of step you through. Some of these we'll turn to. In Acts 1.5, Jesus himself says, as he prepares them for his coming ascension, as John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says, look, what John promised was going to come is about to come. It hasn't come yet, and it's coming. It's in the future for you. Acts 2, then, is when this happens. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. They rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. There's much here. I'll just say for now that the tongues as of fire, I don't believe relate to Jesus' baptism in fire. Right? They're a representation of the Spirit of God at this point as of fire. It's not actual fire happening. But I don't believe that relates to Jesus' baptism by fire. Jesus himself does not even speak of fire when he says the Holy Spirit is coming to baptize you in Acts 1.5. He does then come and does that. He does that in this filling. He says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? This is where they were for the first time ever anywhere was anyone baptized by the Holy Spirit. It happens here. This is the beginning of the church, the day of Pentecost, where they are now placed into union with Christ as the Spirit of God comes to live inside of them for the first time. Therefore, they are in union with Christ. They're in union with the other members of the body of Christ. So filling here is not the same, for example, as filling in Acts 5.18, where it says, be filled with the Spirit. We're not commanded to do this kind of filling. It's not even the same as later on in Acts where they were filled with the Spirit. That is for bold utterance. This filling is synonymous in this case with the baptism of the Spirit. He comes at this point to live inside of them, and he does so visibly. There's the flames as of fire, the tongues as of fire, and there are also then a speaking in tongues that the Spirit gives. Why? Again, we don't have all the time this morning, but that is to give the attestation that the Spirit, this is the real pouring out of the Spirit as a result of the Spirit living inside of them, they speak in tongues. This was predicted to happen through the prophet Joel. It was also predicted that these tongues would essentially be a sign of the Jews' rejection that God was going to turn, ultimately pour out his spirit on all men. Right? We'll, we'll discuss that further. But this, there was a visible sign, that is the speaking in tongues, actual languages for the purpose of demonstrating the reality of being baptized into the body of Christ. And really, the beginning of the church and the new work that God was beginning for the time of the church age. Acts 2, 2-4. Now, and, and when they're speaking back on this, all right, in Acts eleven fifteen, when they're discussing this or considering this, it says, as I began to speak, and really this is here Peter talking of it, the next event we'll talk about. It says, I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did on us at the beginning. And I remember the words of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The disciples themselves, and that was Peter speaking, he relates back this filling of the Spirit at Acts, in Acts 2 as the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus predicted. Right? So they looked back and said, this was the baptism. This is when it happened, the, the apostles themselves, and particularly Peter. All right, so that's the Jews. Really the apostles, but I think representative there of Jews who accept Christ or accepted Christ at that time. They speak in tongues. That's, that's the visible sign of this happening, right? that God is attesting to this, that it's his work. But then a very interesting happens. Turn, go ahead and turn. We'll, we'll follow this progression a bit in Acts chapter 8 because we can just work our way through in Acts chapter 8, you have a totally different group of people because now the word goes forth. Philip goes forth preaching in Samaria. Remember, these would be half-Jews largely, considered, considered to be you know, the, the lowest of the low by Jews, even worse in some cases than Gentiles because they'd intermingled with the Gentiles. So the Jews wouldn't even go into their country, you remember. Jesus did, but they wouldn't. And now they come to Christ. But look what happens in Acts 8.14. It says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that is the witness of the gospel, they sent them Peter and John, two of the apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very strange. I thought we all received the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion that we were baptized into the body of Christ. Yes, that's true now. 
No, it wasn't true then. Why? Because God was working through a progression to demonstrate that each different group that came to Christ in this new covenant era, that each group would also receive the Holy Spirit, that this was the real work of God and that God was going to spread from the Jews through to the Samaritans and then ultimately through to the Gentiles. So God is giving careful testimony and witness to his own work during the time of Acts. Right? So the second group, they believed, they'd already believed. And yet he says, they come so that they might receive then at this point, the Holy Spirit. So that it would be, and who does it? The apostles, those who were the official representatives of Christ as the ones who were to lay the foundation of the church to demonstrate the work of God and pouring out his spirit. So they don't get the spirit till that has come and made official authoritative by the apostles themselves. Now it's very interesting to note that there is no mention of tongues here. So let's say, even, even those that would say, look, there must always be the speaking in tongues when the Spirit is given, even this passage attests against that, and that that isn't always the case. And I think probably most likely here it, for, for the Samaritans is that that external, that, that visible symbol, right, not given here, one, you have Peter and John who are already there, and this is not in the presence of the Jews, right? So that symbol is not given, the speaking in tongues, because it seemed that that was primarily why it was given. Now, turn to Acts 10. We have another group. So we've gone from the Jews, or really the apostles beginning. We've gone to Samaria, where now the apostles go and really give attestation to this work of God in the baptism of the Spirit by praying that they will receive the Spirit. They do in confirmation of their belief in Jesus and then adding them into the body of Christ. But then in Acts 10, we have a third group. In Acts 10, 44, this, the uh, context here is Cornelius. Remember that Peter receives a vision of the sheet that comes down and there's the unclean animals and Peter says, I won't eat those. The voice comes, kill and eat. He goes, I won't eat those. They're unclean. Comes down three times. God says each time, what I have declared clean, you don't say is unclean. As what? The indication that God was now moving to the Gentiles. Those that the Jews considered unclean. They couldn't even come into their presence. They weren't supposed to eat with them, any of those things. So then Cornelius sends a messenger. Peter goes, again, as an apostolic representative, an apostolic emissary. And he goes to them. And in verse 44, of Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, so he preaches the gospel to them, while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. It shows you how, how absolutely paradigm shifting this was, totally breaking their idea of what should happen. All those Jews that were with Peter were going, what? The Gentiles get the Spirit? It's not the way it's supposed to work. They got to become Jews before they get to anything like this, before they receive any benefits. What's going on? But they praise the Lord for this. And so it comes visibly for them. They also speak in tongues, real languages, by which they proclaim the greatness of God and demonstrate, it says, all those around, right? The Jews, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter. So this speaking in tongues is for them also a sign to those Jews who are witnessing along with it that this is the real thing. That's what the speaking in tongues was for. And so it demonstrates that God has done this great work. He has poured out upon the Gentiles also unbelievably and, and, and earth shatteringly to the Jews that this would happen. And so that's a third group. And again, who's there? Peter. And there's other Jews that are there to give witness to this. And so that's why there's tongues spoken. And that's why the spirit of God comes visibly underneath or, or under the authority of an apostle who is there, God working his progression through so that each different group that comes in is seen to now be part of the one body of Christ. So it's important to understand what's going on in Acts. You don't just grab a little piece of it and say, well, this is supposed to be happening now. This is a progression of what is happening as God builds his church. All those are now done, by the way. 
Samaritans are already in, that's Acts 8. Jews are already in, those that believe in Christ, that's Acts 2. Gentiles are already in, that's Acts 10. There's one more group to come in, by the way, in Acts. One more progression, Acts 19, go ahead and turn there. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus, and of all places in Ephesus, he finds a group of John's disciples. In Acts chapter 19, verse 4, uh, well, starting verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? He must have heard that they were disciples of John. So he's going to have to test this a little bit. John, remember, came preaching the baptism of repentance. And Jesus came baptizing with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's trying to figure out what's going on here. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That is, did you get the right baptism? Right? He understands the difference. And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So what spirit? We we didn't get the spirit. We repented. And John baptized us. We had the baptism of John, then we took off. Who knows why they left. So then he says, verse 3, and into what baptism were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, that physical water baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. So now you need to take your repentance, complete it by trusting Christ, the one who is mightier and greater than John, so you can actually be saved. Now look what happened. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. By the way, that isn't the then spirit baptism. That's the water baptism. So they actually, they believe, and they're baptized, really, remember, the baptism of John being transformed one more time into the baptism in the name of Jesus. That's what it says in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? Go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not spirit baptism. That's the actual water baptism. Again, John's baptism transformed for those who believe as the external symbol of that salvation. So they receive that. When Paul laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying again. Those two things being the indication that this was real and under the hands of whom? An apostle. Nowhere in this case do we have people speaking in tongues apart from when an apostle comes and provides the, provides this, you know, tells them the baptism they need to receive, they believe, and then this is where this is attested to. Now that the church has been So I'd say it this way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happened progressively in the book of Acts so that proper testimony could be made to the authentic work of the Spirit in each different group of people. The apostles were the ones who were to witness these different groups receiving the Spirit. Now that the church has been established, all the groups are in. No more apostles of John. No more Gentiles who haven't yet received the Spirit, so it's attested that they can. No more Samaritans who haven't received the Spirit because we know they can. We saw that in Acts. No more Jews who hadn't received the Spirit. We know that they can. Everyone's received it under the hands of the apostles. No more apostles. Full revelation of Scripture. All given full testimony to. And therefore, when we receive Christ, when we repent and believe, we receive the Spirit in His fullness at that moment. Think about it. We'd be pretty stuck if we needed an apostle to come along and testify that for us. Nor do we need any longer the sign of Prophecy, notice, interesting, the prophecy went along with tongues in almost all these cases. We don't need that sign either. Why? Because no more apostles. All that is attested to already in Scripture, so not necessary when we receive the Spirit. And in fact, not given. Well, how do I know that? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit, you were all, all believers. For by one Spirit, certainly to those at Corinth, 
right? Transferring, but the, that, the, that's true believers. For by one spirit, you were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. There's the picture, spirit baptism. We drink of the spirit, the fullness of the spirit indwelling us. All believers at the moment of salvation receive this. How do I know it's at the moment of salvation? Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly, holding nothing back, the fullness of the Spirit granted as the Spirit comes to wash and renew, which is the moment of salvation. That's the only time anyone ever comes to Christ. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit for us being fully immersed by the Spirit of God into Christ, into the body of Christ, because he comes to fully immerse us, living inside of us, is that reality which is true now and forever for every believer. One final thought here. This is absolutely essential because this is, this giving of the Holy Spirit, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, is the promise, the fulfillment of the promise of the new covenant. Where the Spirit of God comes to indwell, to baptize, There, the new covenant has come in full. Joel chapter two, verse 28. It came about after this. It will come about after this, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. That verse is quoted by Peter in Acts chapter two, where he says, look, what you see now, the Holy Spirit being poured out, that's what was promised. And this has caused confusion to many because like, well, that was promised to the Jews. It's spoken of there in their final restoration before the millennial kingdom. It's spoken of them that that's going to happen to them. Yes. Does that also, has that happened now? Has the, has the beginning of the outpouring of the spirit begun ending with the final outpouring to ethnic Israel that will bring about their return to him, their true salvation? It has begun. The spirit of God is here. He is now indwelling. And this work is the attestation that the new covenant is here. The, the law of God is the word being written on our hearts. The delight in God, the ability to, to trust in him in a way that is unique to the New Testament era, to love him, to serve him, to be part of his body. This is now here. It is now the new covenant and we are in it and we are under it. Ezekiel thirty six twenty five. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Reiterated for the church in Hebrews, that we too come underneath that new covenant promise and the washing of our heart happens by whom? The spirit of God as he washes us clean. The picture of baptism, immersed in him. So the questions I have for you, judgment and fire, that's next week. You'll have to come back. Judgment with the Holy Spirit, here's what I would ask you. Considering that the nature of who Jesus is, the nature of John versus Jesus, John's baptism versus Christ's first, do you recognize the greatness of Jesus? Do you view yourself in light of his almighty perfection rather than comparing yourself to those around you? This is always the problem. I am mighty enough because I'm better than Bill or George or some other person. I can always find somebody I'm better than. If you compare yourself only to Christ, you will never be better. And you will see yourself properly as you truly are, bankrupt before him, sinful before him, condemned to eternal hell apart from him. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. And when you do that, the humility for repentance is there. Scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees and Pharisees, we're already done. We're better than everybody. 
You and I were better than nobody. And therefore, we have the humility granted by God to cling to Christ when we cannot cling to ourselves. The second and last question. Do you understand then and embrace your need for true conversion? A renovation of mind and will and affections that can only be accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Not another decision. Not another mental acknowledging this morning. Okay, I know that that's true. I believe mentally that that is true. Not another one of those. You don't need that. You need conversion. You need the repentance and belief that, that brings, that, that comes, that flows from a heart that has been changed. And there's only one way to get it. Cry out to God for it. Not simply, all right, I, I, again, Lord, I, I believe that you, no, an understanding of his greatness in light of your sinfulness, his provision in light of your bankruptcy and your desperate need of him because you are absolutely unable. You cry out to God in that way. It's not a mental acknowledgement. You recognize that conversion is what you need and that conversion is found for all who will call upon the name of the Lord. None will be rejected in true repentance and faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the precious privilege that we have had to look into your word. I thank you for your spirit with whom you have baptized us, that we have been immersed into your body, immersed into you, joined with you, unified with you, or that we might receive your righteousness and that we might receive all the blessings and, and benefits of being buried with you and raised with you, of, of having an inheritance that is found in you, and, and that we might exercise all the joyful benefits of being part of the body of Christ. Father, help us to do this. Help us to daily recognize that you are mighty and we are helpless, and that everything good that is found in you flows from you to us by your grace, and that we have deserved none of it. But I pray for those perhaps here this morning who have mentally acknowledged you, but are not converted. They've not recognized the bankruptcy of their own souls. They've not delighted to see you increase and they decrease. Pray that they would cry out to you for that this morning, that they would repent and believe. But thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit given to us that we might know you and love you as you so richly deserve. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the SOLA and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.